Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for Virginia Tech and ACC Sports. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Firth. It's Tuesday, August 17th, and we are previewing the ACC. First up is the Atlantic Division. Later this week, we'll talk, we're talking Coastal. Um, but yeah, today, Atlantic plus Notre Dame. A lot to talk about. Uh, before we get into that, Tim, what's going on? Sitting here watching the Braves uh, demolish the Marlins, which is always something good to Braves see. Braves are on a hot streak right now. Ah, yeah, I know. It, it just took all year to get there. But finally, the Braves are uh, making some moves, which looks like may lead them uh, to another division title. Although they have to go through the Phillies, who are also, as of late, they were playing better. But nobody's going to play well against the Dodgers and the Padres. And um, luckily, the Braves have had, you know, the Nationals. Now they're playing the Marlins. They get your Orioles next, um, mm. which should make That's for a nice little yeah, nice two, two to three easy them. wins there um, in that series. Mm-hmm. Knock on wood. So um, hopefully the Braves can just keep it up, man. But outside of that, we're just we're creeping creeping towards the start of college football here and i'm looking forward to it yep yep we're getting there we're getting there i'm pricing out some titans tickets trying to decide you know what route i want to take what games i want to go to so they play the chiefs october 24th so i definitely want to go to that um you know i don't have the baseball uh you know worries that you do like basically you either get hot like the braves or you turn into the chicago cubs um, which has gone in the complete polar opposite direction. And then, of course, you have the Baltimore Orioles, who, um, you know, I did see that they have the number two farm system in baseball right now. So that yeah. is finally a ray of sunshine that I've been waiting to see uh, basically for my entire life. Yeah, so. no, it'll be good. And I imagine if Adley Rutschman isn't been, hasn't been called up yet, this would be a, a good time of the year to go ahead and call him. just got him called up, up to AAA, oh, so he's on his way. He'll good. probably be up next uh, next season. Then we got the number one pitching prospect in baseball, Grayson Rodriguez. Yep. You know, I'm, yep. I'm trying not to get, get amped up, but those two. Well, that's a pretty good foundation, good. Um, Adley especially. Good. I mean, you're going to look at one of the best defensive catchers in baseball as soon as he's called his up. His first game in AAA. Yeah. Which you know, a week or two ago, yep. caught 7.2 innings of no-hit baseball yeah. in his first start. So. Look, learning pitchers and, and figuring out how to call a game in the major leagues, all big deal, take some time. But I think offensively, you know, good switch hitter, he'll be ready to go. That battle translate real well. It'll just be, you know, how does he settle in on the pitch calling? And, um, you know, typically that goes decently enough, given enough time in the minors. So I know I'm looking forward to him getting called up and, and seeing what he's got. Yeah, there's no doubt. I, I can't wait to see Birdland full of uh, black and orange again like it should be. So um, hopefully here in a couple years they'll be back. Um, you know, same goes for some other teams. But let's start talking football. Let's do it. So as we had uh, alluded to, we've got our ACC preview this week. Uh, so first up is the Atlantic Division, which is a really interesting division, Tim. And really... I guess we'll get into it a little bit, but you know, for me, it's going to be, you know, it's Clemson's still the class, but there is a team that I think could push Clemson this year, and that's your NC State Wolfpack, and we'll talk about them in a little bit. For the Coastal, we'll talk about them in a day or two, but it feels like the Coastal to me, um, but that'll be fun to chat through as uh, as usual. But here we are in the Atlantic. So if we want to look at how uh, everybody was slated in the preseason, Clemson 
NC State, Boston College, Florida State, Wake Forest, Louisville, and Syracuse is the order in which uh, the media pick them to place. Um, and there was actually a first place vote for the NC State Wolfpack, but um, you know, I I think they've got a they've got a chance to upset. So let's go in order, Tim, of of how they were picked. Sure. Place. So we'll start with Clemson, and why not? Right. Yeah. Class of the ACC uh, has been since 2016, uh, but it's a new look for the Clemson Tigers. You know, no Trevor Lawrence, the winningest quarterback in program history. You've got no Travis Etienne, who's your all-time leading rusher. You've got two of the top three receivers, uh, Amari Rogers and Cornell Powell, Powell who have departed. Um, but you do have nine out of 11 of your defensive starters coming back. So what that all means is it's a new era on offense, and the DJU is how I'm going to refer to him as. Um, Ungugale or something? I can't. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's I, I think it's ukulele it, like, somewhere close U- to that. Yeah, it's like there's this like gungungale at some point in there. There's a lot of it's vowels. It's fun to say. It's heavy vowels. It's, it's like the scan. It's the opposite yeah. of the Scandinavian names where there's like eight consonants in a row and you don't right. know quite how to approach it this is just like somebody bought all the vowels um but so yeah ukulele DJU, i think or there's big cinco i, I like that. big cinco yeah me That's too fun. he's also huge so uh, that works i think he got a sponsorship from dr pepper if i recall um <laughs> so big deal yeah but yeah he's a he's a big guy he's 250 pounds uh he's not as mobile as trevor lawrence um He's probably more Big Ben mobile than Trevor Lawrence is more of a... I don't want to put Trevor Lawrence in the Aaron Rodgers mobility category, but he can escape if needed. He can make plays with his legs, yeah. and that's kind of where Trevor Lawrence is. Trevor Lawrence is sneaky um, smooth when he's carrying the ball. Sneaky smooth. Yeah. He is. He catches you off guard. But DJU or Big Cinco, he did start two games last year. If you recall, uh, Lawrence um, did have COVID and sat out for a couple games. And he completed 78 of 117 passing yards for 914 and five touchdowns. The big question mark isn't necessarily is he going to be able to compete at the high level. I think he will. I don't think it, there. it's going to be a different look at quarterback. Um, I think the Clemson offense will be fine. The issue is what happens if DJU gets hurt? Because they've got nothing but walk-ons behind him. And their backup, who was Taysen Fomacon, who was another five-star <laughs> right. quarterback recruit, he tore his Achilles in the spring. So their depth there at quarterback is uh, is very thin. So that's something to watch. I mean, big guy like that, he can probably take a lot of the brunt, but you, you just never know what's going to happen. Um, Lynn J. Dixon is going to be the guy who fills in at running back. He's got 1,300 yards in his career, 13 touchdowns. Uh, you got sophomore Kobe Pace behind him, who will likely uh, look to push him. At receiver, you've got Justin Ross, who's back. He's been cleared to return, so that's a big get. Joseph Nada, EJ Williams, Frank Gladson Jr., all those guys are going to be in the mix. So it's a nice group of receivers. Should be able to dominate uh, at least some of the teams that they go up against. And then you add in Braden Galloway and Davis Allen at tight end, and you know that's a pretty nice uh, stable of uh, pass catchers to throw the football to. Um, the big issue with their offense last year, the offensive line was a little hit or miss, especially in the run game. So they returned four 
you would have to think they'll get that corrected. They bring in Tristan Lee, who's their highest-rated offensive line recruit ever. Um, but can they get that run group figured out? So, I mean, that's kind of a look at the offense, Tim. What do you, what do you expect out of the Clemson offense this season? I, I don't expect a huge step back, but when you're replacing Etienne and Lawrence, I think, you know, obviously you're going to get some regression there. Um, everybody seems pretty sold on Ugalele, and, and I am, especially seeing what he did in the Notre Dame game, but there's no doubt that there's obviously a step down from Trevor Lawrence, and I think a lot of people are looking at this offense um, kind of as a well-oiled machine, a lot of talent in the skill positions, but largely unproven. Um, you hit on the biggest concern, which I think they're down to a walk-on as their backup um, quarterback, which is not what you want. Um, obviously, you know, they had a, their number two quarterback go down. They had some transfers out, um, but really, really thin there at quarterback. And, and as you know, injuries at quarterback seem to be kind of a plague in college football. And, you know, even though DJ is just a massive mountain of a man, you know, anything can happen out there. And, and there could be, you know, some frustration with him trying to press, trying to be Trevor Lawrence, trying to replace what he did. There's a lot of pressure in that, being the next guy up to replace a legend. You know, you see a lot of pressure on quarterbacks coming in, following these legends and not quite living up to it, being harder on themselves than maybe they need to be and, and seeing their play struggle in the long term. So it'll it'll be, I guess... Um, it's safe to say that ukulele is going to be very good. You know, I think there's a chance he could press and maybe not look quite as sharp as many are expecting. But obviously, that big the big question there is: okay, what if he goes down? And I think you know that's one of those areas where uh, you really have to be concerned if you're a Clemson fan. You know, holding your breath every time DJ takes a hit because it's not a pretty depth chart at that position. And to me, that's that's the big hole in the offense. And Clemson's season will go as that quarterback health goes. Yeah, it's just going to be a, a new look behind center. Um, so, I mean, we'll see how it plays out. I like Lynn J. Dixon. I think he'll hold up just fine. He's not Travis Etienne. Not many guys are. But I think they'll be fine from a running back standpoint. They've got plenty of pass catchers on the uh, on the outside that can kind of fill in where Etienne um, leaves off from a uh, receiving standpoint. Defensively, should be much of the same, right? You've got... James Skalski coming back, who is in year six at linebacker. So remember, everybody gets that additional year. So you've got some big-time experience on a lot of squads now. Um, he'll play alongside Bale Inspector, so those two are going to hold down the linebacker positions. you got Brian Breeze back at defensive tackle, who was the ACC Defensive Rookie of the Year last year. Um, and he'll be alongside Tyler Davis, you know, Miles Murphy, Xavier Thomas, KJ Henry, Justin Maskell. All these guys are probably NFLers. I mean, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, it's a pretty formidable unit. The one thing that I found interesting about the Clemson defensive line to him was no lineman last year had more than four sacks, but Clemson ranked fifth in sacks per game and third in tackles for loss. So that just shows you how much... I guess sacks there are to go around for this defense and kind of what effect that the linebackers have on this defense as well. So, um, I mean, really it should be much of the same. I think where we saw Clemson regress last year was against the deep ball. Those over the top plays, they, they got burned more times than not. Um, or I shouldn't say more times than not. I should say more times than we've seen them get burned in years past, specifically the sugar bowl. I mean, Justin Fields had a field day throwing the ball down the field. And um, for the most part, they get everybody back. They do lose Darian Kendrick, who 
um, you know, was one of their starters last season, but for the most part, uh, they return everybody. So again, you give a, a guy another year in a Clemson defense, you know, I expect there to be a pretty uh, big improvement, especially under Brent Venable. So to me, the defense is the strength of this team. That's going to what make, that's going to what make, that's what is going to make, there we go, got it out, Clemson, super difficult to beat on a week-in and week-out basis. And, you know, you mix in uh, what they can do on offense. I mean, again, this is this is a team who should be competing for a playoff spot. Um, will they? I guess we'll just have to see how this offense stands out. And, you know, they have a really tough test to open the season. But what's what's your kind of look for the for the defense overall? Well, you mentioned TFLs and, you know, a lot of that coming from Baylin Spector and Skalski, who are just incredibly athletic linebackers. Um you know, when it comes to the secondary, obviously I think they have one of the better safety duos, if not the best safety duo out there in Xanders and Turner. Um, and you mentioned, you know, obviously Kendrick going down, not good. He He's a borderline elite cornerback, and you, you never, you know, want to see an injury like that. But when it comes to their defense, it's like Bud Foster was back in the day where it doesn't how many, it doesn't matter how many new faces you throw back there or anything like that. I mean, Venables just has that defense and scheme so well ingrained in all of those players that they've recruited so well with those kind of athletes. You kind of know what you're going to get in a Clemson defense, and that's team speed. Um, and knowing what they want to do to offenses. And, you know, as long as Venables is there, your your basement for how poorly your defense is going to perform is still pretty high. Um, so I'm not really concerned about the defense, you know, especially when it's anchored by a guy like Skalski, who just is one of those guys that will never graduate as far as I'm concerned. Um, he's like the Tyler Hansbro or the football equivalent of Tyler Hansborough, where you feel like he's been playing for seven or eight years, and it's because he probably has played pretty close to that. But, you know, he's a guy I thought for sure was going to go pro, would have tested incredibly well at the Combine. And, you know, him coming back um, along with Balin, that's just a nasty linebacker group. And, you know, it's it's a known quantity. We know what to expect from Clemson on the defensive side of the ball. I don't expect much regression, if any, um, on the defensive side of the ball. So for me, I mean, if you're talking about the strength of Clemson's team, even though they have all that star power on the offense, they got ukulele who you know, looks to be the prototypical gunslinger, just cannon for an arm, huge, able to take hits in the pocket. Um, couple that with, you know, a defense that has a lot of proven quantity on it and in, in the ultimate proven quantity in Brent Venables. Um, you kind of know what you're getting there. So obviously you expect a really strong playoff caliber team here. It just really depends on, on how it shakes out on the offensive side of the ball. But, but that defense will remain elite. That's for sure. Yeah. The, Clemson defense kind of reminds me of of a uh, bag of blue tortilla chips because when you reach your hand in there, you're guaranteed to take a blue chip out, and that's what their defense is because it's nothing but blue chips. Even you know on the third team, it's just it just keeps recycling itself. It's the deepest defense I can recall in a very long time. So I did not have um, blue tortilla chip analogy on my checklist of analogies you may throw out. So tip of my cap to you on that one. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. You know, it came to me. Uh, it felt like really good. Um, <laughs> but you, you think about it for the most part, I'd say Clemson is one of the better roster managers. It's just from an overall standpoint. Yeah. But they've really dropped the ball at quarterback and, Really, before last season, they'd already always been kind of thin at quarterback. 
I mean, if you recall back to when, um, you know, they lost to, or they almost lost to Syracuse with Chase Bryce, like Chase Bryce was good, but he's not like on the caliber of, he was a solid backup, I should say, didn't seem to work out for him well as a starter at Duke, but um, I mean, how you're Clemson and you let yourself be down to walk-ons is potentially coming in at quarterback, that's kind of mind-blowing to me. Yeah. I understand there was an injury, but still, there was there's nothing else. So, uh, you know, we'll see how that plays out. I mean, if we look at their schedule, Tim, um, pretty weak from a conference standpoint. Um, if we look at their out-of-conference, Georgia is the season opener. Uh, neutral site, believe it's in Charlotte? I think it's in Charlotte, if I if my memory serves me correctly. Um, so that that's a top five matchup just oh, right yeah. off the bat. And, you know, personally, I think Georgia's going to win. I'm giving the edge to Georgia just because of the new kind of look and feel of this offense. I think it's going to be a defensive game. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and throw my pick uh towards georgia just to just to throw it out there otherwise they're gonna wipe the uh out of conference slate clean they play south carolina state uconn and then south carolina to end the season at home their conference games are georgia tech boston college fsu and wake so that's four and oh their away games are nc state syracuse Pitt, and louisville so really their only interesting conference game to me the only conference game that I will be remotely interested in watching Clemson play is that away game at NC State yeah and it's fairly early on in the season um I think it's a late September early October game it is and uh you know I think if this is the year where Clemson slips up and loses a regular season conference game this is the year and NC State is the team to do it um it's a ton to replace. It's fairly early in the season. You know, they'll have a couple of big games under their belt already, but for the most part, it's a pretty weak schedule. NC State has a lot to prove. They've played Clemson tight in the past. That is a game that I've got circled on the old calendar. I'd love to get your take on that. Yeah, I mean, that game's going to be huge. Um, it should be a really, really good one. You know, I think NC State is vastly underrated this year. Um, by and large, I'm not talking about the people that actually make the rankings and, and pay attention to the ACC because second is about where I'd have NC State. But I think people who don't follow NC State may not realize how deep uh, NC State is, but Dave Doran has done a fantastic job recruiting in Raleigh. Um, Charlie Wiles has helped out a lot. You, you see a lot of big names on the roster that are two and three spots down the depth chart at NC State, which is one of the deeper teams, if not the deepest team in the ACC, top to bottom. And I don't think that they get enough credit for that depth. You know, we talk a lot about teams that have, you know, shallow positions, whether it be Clemson's quarterback or Virginia Tech, anywhere on the defensive side of the ball. When you look at NC State, that just doesn't exist. Um, the other side of the, the, the equation is NC State's got talent and spades on that team in the starting lineup as well. And, you know, what they did last year, I feel like a lot of people are sleeping on having to trot out Bailey Hockman for half the games, you know, and still having a decent season. Bailey Hockman's a guy that should never have really been starting ACC games. He wasn't really that quality a quarterback. He had to. Uh, Tim Beck made chicken salad out of chicken, you know what? And uh, it was pretty impressive. And, and the coaching staff, I think, at NC State is phenomenal. When you look at, you've got Joker Phillips as a wide receiver coach. You've got Charlie Wiles on the defensive line. 
Um, you got Tim Beck, who's a complete mastermind when it comes to quarterbacks and a really good offensive coordinator, um, you know, coupled with, with other studs at various positions and Tony Gibson calling a good defense. Um, if, if, if Clemson is going to stumble, it is at an away game at Carter Finley in the textile bowl. There's no doubt. However, with all the new pieces on offense, I, I could see this as a situation where Clemson may actually lose two conference games this year. Um, that That is definitely on the table if you know they start to stumble a little bit out of the gate because Clemson is not used to adversity right now. Clemson has been a well-oiled machine for three to four years, longer than that, without really hitting a stumbling block. And I, I just, something about the way you're replacing a Trevor Lawrence and a Travis Etienne just seems like in theory, when you look at them on paper, you're thinking in your head, oh, this is going to be easy. But you consider what they did and how long they did it and how consistently they did it. It's just going to be so hard to replicate that. And you could see a scenario in which Clemson stumbles a couple of times due to frustration, maybe due to injury. Um, and I think this early game, get past that early game against NC State and Clemson is coasting. Uh, if NC State is able to sneak a win there, I could see it compounding into another loss for Clemson. And it's one of those seasons where Clemson's a hard one for me to predict. Everybody seems ready to crown them before the season starts. And I understand why that tendency would be there, but man, you could see this potentially getting Clemson a little bit stumbly given the, the proximity to the start of the season, in which they find themselves in that NC state game. So what is your, uh, the over-under for Clemson is 11.5. What do you think? I think Clemson wins 10 games this season. I'm uh, I'm there with you. I, I've got two losses for Clemson Same. Uh, pinpointed. I don't think they're losing two conference games. Uh, I think they lose the Georgia game, and I've got NC State as the likely conference game that they lose. I think all the other teams they play conference-wise, just there's no way they compete with them on the defensive side of the ball how their offense would be able to move the ball against Clemson I just I don't know um but we'll see we'll and see how the season unfolds maybe we'll think differently uh later but I mean 10 wins is still a good season it's not a yeah. college football playoff berth though for Clemson so. no no and it's it's one of those well, where you know like I said the health of the quarterback if Clemson is trotting out a, a walk-on quarterback to start more than three or four games um this is a different conversation and you know I the health of the quarterback is everything. And you got two things working against ukulele here, and that's the pressure um, and the fact that there's nobody behind him on the depth chart, and it's a linchpin to their season. So um, I'm going to go ahead and hedge there and say, you know, it doesn't go as smooth as maybe anyone is predicting. And, yeah, there's a potential for two losses. I, I would think one loss in my head, but it wouldn't surprise me to see Clemson with two ACC losses. The ACC will get after you, man. Normally, their their conference schedule is just so weak, though. That's that's why for me, I just don't see a lot of conference challenges for Clemson this year outside of NC State. And we've we've jumped the gun on NC State a little bit. We've talked about them now. Um, that's who we'll jump to next. So, you know, very interested to see how they can perform this season. You've got year nine of Dave Dorn. He signed his fourth extension in the off season since he's been at NC State. He's now there through twenty twenty five. He's second all time in wins. Uh, they finished eight and four last season, which was a surprise to a lot. That was best or tied fourth in the ACC. We re recall there were no divisions last year, um, and they returned eighteen starters. 
They get Devin Leary back at quarterback, which I think is the biggest, the biggest thing. And before Leary got hurt last season, he was having a banger of a year. Yeah, he was I rolling. Sixty percent completion, eight touchdowns. Uh, but then he fractured his fibula. Um, and for Virginia Tech fans, if you recall the NC State game last year, uh, Bailey Hockman started that game, and Devin Leary just about finished it. Um, it the game started getting hairy pretty quickly. So if he can stay healthy. I think NC State has a chance to win any game that they play, and that includes Clemson. Uh, if you look at the running back position, a stable of backs, you got Bam Knight and Ricky Person who are holding it down. They both missed the spring, but they should be ready for the start of the year. Knight was a third-team all-ACC selection last season. Person's got 1,300 yards and nine touchdowns in his career. And then you've got Jordan Houston, who's a uh, probably the best third stringer in the ACC. So a lot of, uh, a lot of options at running back there. You got a Mecca Amezi back at a receiver who was an All ACC honorable mention last season. He also missed the spring, but should be fine. Uh, Thayer Thomas, the baseball player, Devin Carter, Porter Rooks, C.J. Riley—they all bring a little bit something different to this offense. So a pretty deep group at receiver, and then the offensive line just has a ton of experience. So overall, Tim, this offense—I mean, it should compete with any offense in the ACC this year. Yeah, they should. And and you mentioned the line. I mean, it's anchored by what I think could be the best offensive lineman in college football this year in Iki Aquanu. If you've never stopped and watched any of his highlights, I suggest you go to YouTube right now and just type in Iki Aquanu. I won't spell it for you. Do your best phonetically. But the guy is one of the nastiest blockers I've seen in college football in a long time. Just one of those aggressive, mauling, run-blocking tackles. Um, who's who's definitely going to be, I think, a, a Great top... Great name, too. Oh, I Icky, mean, yeah, Icky Nominee for the all-ACC name team. Yeah, for sure. yeah. I mean, we've gone over some good names uh, so far in this podcast. we got a lot to live up to for the rest of the previews. But um, NC State, again, just deep at every single position, um, especially at running back. I think Ricky Person and Bam Knight would just about walk into any backfield in the ACC. Uh, and it doesn't really stop there. you got Jordan Houston back there. Um, another guy who I think goes unheralded, but really is as sort of your change it up pace, you know, quick back that can receive out of the backfield. He's been huge for NC state and they know what they want to do on offense. And I think that's such a big deal. When you talk about Tim Beck, a guy that's been doing it for seemingly forever, um, has come in and really solidified that offense and that balanced attack that Dave Doran looks for. And NC state's one of those teams that could go out there. If Devin Leary is able to heal up, properly from the injury shake off the rust and come out there and perform at the level he was performing at last year there are a few teams that can match nc state's balance on offense they can pass the ball with ease they can run the ball with ease Um, that's a really versatile offensive attack for various you know a myriad of game plans and exploiting weaknesses of defenses and you know when you look at nc state's roster it really just shakes out to a team where yeah they don't have the blue chips that clemson does they don't have the athletes position for position but what they have that may be better than clemson is depth and and i'm talking any position whether you look at quarterback they can throw in ben finley um who saw some good action last year and looked good brother of uh of ryan finley who obviously had a lot of success with nc state um ben looks like a, a really sharp guy back there and then you have uh aaron mclaughlin who's a you know, a, a four-star recruit out of Georgia uh, who can come in, who's got some speed to him, can really throw the ball down the field if need be. But if you're NC State, you're not, you know, hoping or, or pinning any hopes on your third-string quarterback having to do anything. Um, you know, 
but when you break it down and, and look at NC State as a, a sum of all its parts, it's um, it's a talented group they have in Raleigh. Yeah, and then on the defensive side of the ball, they lose Aline McNeil, who now plays on the Detroit Lions, uh, but they're going to slot in C.J. Clark there. The defense is really led by uh, Peyton Wilson, who finished fourth nationally uh, at linebacker with 108 tackles last season, uh, led the team in tackles with uh, or tackles for loss with 11 and a half, had two interceptions as well, um, and they have a nice mix in the defensive backfield as well, Tim. So what are what are you looking forward to most in that defense? The linebacking core is just outstanding. So you, you have a three three five scheme that Gibson runs, um, which he took, obviously, from his Mountaineer days. So you got three linebackers, and I think three of the best linebackers in the ACC, and as a unit, maybe one of the best, if not the best in, in the nation. And Peyton Wilson, who is just a tackling machine, athletic as can be, hits hard. Um, you got Isaiah playing middle linebacker. Um, Isaiah Moore, who's been playing for NC State, seemingly starting for three years and an absolute beast in the run stuffing department. And then you got Drake Thomas, who has some of the best hair in the ACC, a guy that's just got a nose for the football, flies around, makes tackles, and one of the toughest guys I've seen in a while. So when you look at the defense, obviously the focus is on um, that linebacking core. But, I mean, there are playmakers all over the field. If, if there's one place to nitpick, it's at corner and who's going to step up there. But the depth is unquestionable when you look at the amount of snaps those corners have, led by Chris Ingram um, and Tanner Engel, um, one of the hardest-hitting safeties in the ACC, if not the nation back there. If he can limit the targeting penalties, um, you know, they'll be really formidable on the back end. Defensive line's looking good. You know, I think the big highlight on defensive line is Corey Durden, the transfer from Florida State. Guy is uh, 6'5", around 300 pounds, absolutely incredible athlete, a guy you can line up on the interior or if you're down in your three-down set, he can play defensive end. Um, really can can add maybe some pass rush that was lacking last year off the defensive line, even though the defensive line didn't do terrible in that department. Durden's one of those guys that could be an elite pass rusher in the ACC um, and was a huge pickup for NC State because with Savion Jackson, um, Daniel Joseph, the line was already a strength, but to have it bolstered by a guy that could be a round one draft pick out of Florida State uh, was a huge get for NC State. But again, the key here is depth. At every position I just mentioned, at every uh, position group I just mentioned, there are about two to three guys behind each position that can capably come in and play, which leads to a bigger piece there, which is going to be rotation. NC State is going to have the ability to rotate heavily on the defensive side of the ball, which will help keep them, uh, you know, avoiding fatigue and keeping fresh legs in there, which especially when you're talking about the defensive line is huge. Um, being able to sub in different personnel packages, whether it be Josh Harris, who's one of the largest men I've ever seen on the planet, uh, 6'4", 6'5", 340, 350 pounds, depending on the day. For your goal line package, um, you, you've got versatile guys, like I mentioned, like Durden, who can get interior if you need some pass rush or get exterior on standard downs. It, it, it's going to be impressive. You know, I, I think the bigger question uh, for NC State is is hinging upon, obviously, that quarterback and how does Devin Leary heal if you get mediocre quarterback play in college football, obviously you're capped at what you can achieve. But um, given what we saw from Leary this year, you know, if you can get a repeat performance out of him, I think the sky's the limit for the Wolfpack. And, and they got a chance to, uh, you know, take down Clemson um, and have another eight to nine win season. And uh, yeah, just further entrench Dave Doran as the head football coach in NC State. The flip side of that is everybody within the program knows how deep NC State is this year. So there are expectations that haven't existed in in three years in Raleigh uh, coming up this year. And with expectations comes pressure. 
Yeah, I mean, the over-under for them is six and a half, which I couldn't believe. Um, I mean, that seems super low. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, I think they're the best team in North Carolina, personally. Um, and they, they have a chance to settle that on the field at home uh, against UNC. Um, but, I mean, if you look at their out-of-conference, they've got USF, uh, Furman, Louisiana Tech, Mississippi State on the road. Um, but, I mean, I think they're better than Mississippi State. So I see them going 4-0 there. You've got the Clemson as the conference opener, then Louisville, Syracuse, UNC at home, uh, and then their road matchups are BC, Miami, Florida State, and Wake. So it's a manageable conference schedule. Um, I think this team can get to 10 wins. I wouldn't be surprised if it was 9. I'd be surprised if it was more than 10. But, you know, I think for me a successful year would be 9 wins or more for for Dave Doran this season. Absolutely. Yeah, and nine's kind of where I have. I have him pinned in that eight to nine win range, um, you know, which would be a fantastic season. NC State's not one of those programs you expect to have many 10 win seasons. I think there have only been two in school history, maybe three, um, with Chuck Amato and the Phillip Rivers years, uh, maybe one 10 win season back in Ted Brown's era when he was running the football for the Wolfpack, and, and maybe one recently with Bradley Chubb and, and Dave Doran. Um, but there is a chance, and you know you don't get a chance in Raleigh for a ten-win season very often. And there's a legitimate chance here for you know a tenth win in a bowl game for the Wolfpack. All right, so let's jump over to Boston College. You got year two of Jeff Halfley. You know he's six wins last year. I'd say was a success with everything that was going into kind of new coaching staff starting over. You know COVID and everything like that. Phil Jerkovic is the guy, a quarterback, uh, threw for 2,500 yards, 17 touchdowns, five picks, uh, 61% completion rate. You know, this was a guy, he was a former top 10 recruit in college football. Um, so, you know, expecting him to kind of take the next step this season, I'd say he's one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC. Uh, you know, they thought David Bailey was going to give them something last year, and he didn't. He showed up a little bit out of shape. He wasn't the bell cow everybody was expecting. And he actually transferred to go play uh, with his former coach, Steve Adazio, over at Colorado State. Um, so we're going to see a new uh, a new running back this year. And, I mean, if you recall, Boston College just abandoned the run almost every single week, which was just mind-blowing if you had been watching any kind of Boston College football over the last, you know, seven years. Um but no really true fire, surefire starter there. I think if you look at true freshman Xavier Coleman, um, he's probably the guy to watch. And then, of course, a receiver, you've got Zay Flowers, who, you know, he's probably an all-ACC caliber guy. 56 catches, 892 yards, nine touchdowns last year. Um, so, I mean, it should be kind of an interesting offense. They've got some other options behind Flowers, but he's definitely the uh, the big dog. And then, you know, the offensive line returns everybody. Um, and they'll just be looking to improve off of last season. I completely agree, man. I really like what Jeff Halfley's doing out there. Um, you know, he's obviously got his eyes set on, on building a program, so you'd like to see some progress there. Uh, and I think you mentioned it. A lot of what BC misses is that dynamic playmaker on the edge, and we've seen bits and pieces from Zay Flowers where you look at his stat line after – you know, a week with not paying attention much to what Boston College did and realized they had over 100 yards. And and you look at him and he's got the athleticism needed to add that dynamic element on the edge. When you think of Boston College, you think of plotting running backs, A.J. Dillon, Campbell, as you mentioned, who they were expecting to be a, a little bit better than he was. Um, but they always go in with that uh, 
kind of, you know, mindset and, and you go in with that kind of old stereotype phobe, here comes Boston College, they're going to run right up the middle for about 40 times a game and, and they're going to wear you down, grind you out, end up, you know, winning a game by a touchdown. But I think there's potential here for Jeff Halfley to kind of reinvent what they're doing on offense. And that all starts really and ends with Zay Flowers. What are they going to get out of him? Is he going to be the dynamic playmaker they need? And, you know, I think there's hope there for Boston College. You know, it's, it's one of those things where, I, I think they're doing the right things and in, in they're they're building the program in the right way and kind of changing the way they've done things a little bit. And now we're going to see, you know, obviously into Halfley's reign a little bit, uh, how they're looking uh, and what progress they've made. Yeah, defensively, it's a little kind of less known. I mean, I think uh, their secondary is probably the best aspect of their defense. They've got both safeties returning in Mike Palmer and Jamin Muse, uh, Brandon Sebastian, Josh DeBerry are back. They've got a couple of uh, pretty solid recruits that should be expected to compete there as well. Uh, you know, their defensive line underperformed last year, uh, so I think that's kind of a you know point of emphasis. Are they going to be able to develop that position a little bit better? A uh, couple of big losses at linebacker uh, with uh, McDuffie and Richardson, so um, you know they've gone into the portal. They've tried to fill some holes, but that doesn't always work out. So I think defensively for me, Tim, that's where BC is most vulnerable this season. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And if you go back to 2019, you know, you remember that being just a tragic year for that Eagles defense. I mean, they went from 125th in total defense to 73rd last year. So that's a jump of about 50 points or 50, you know, rankings there. And that's a huge jump to have in one year. So you'd expect some diminishing returns in that regard, but I think there's, you know, there's a chance this defense could actually improve on that. I mean, 73rd is not lighting the world on fire, um, but you go back and you look at, obviously they've got a secondary with a lot of experience. Um, they got a, a, a transfer in Lars Woodby, who's, you know, really, really talented, a guy who started a lot for Florida state. Um, Brandon Sebastian is back there. Josh DeBerry, um, there's a lot of talent back there. So I think the strength of the defense is going to be in that secondary group. Obviously where they're going to need to step up is on the defensive line. And if they're able to get consistent pressure on the quarterback, you know, you could see that being a serviceable 60th to 50th ranked defense. If everything goes the way it should and, and the way I'm sure Halfley hopes it will. Um, but again, this is kind of the, the side of the ball where I see maybe some potential problems lingering. And, you know, if, if the pieces don't come together and they have another year where they're around that 70th, 80th rank in defense, um, could be a long year for the Eagles. Schedule-wise, they've got Colgate, Missouri, UMass, and Temple out of conference. So not not much there. The Missouri game could be interesting. Uh, home conference-wise, NC State, Virginia Tech, Florida State, and Wake. So a pretty tough home draw for BC this season. Away, you've got Clemson, Louisville, Syracuse, and Georgia Tech. Um, so outside of Clemson, not as difficult on the away slate. So, I mean, I've got them kind of sitting at 4-4 four and four in conference play, Tim. I've got a pretty aggressive eight wins target for BC. Um, maybe I'm just trying to get them over that seven wins hump, uh, that they always seem to be at with Steve Adazio, but the over under for BC is seven. If I were betting on it, I'd probably, um, I probably just wouldn't touch it because I think it would be probably seven. Um, but that's kind of my take. What are, what are your thoughts on their, their slate this year? 
Yeah, I mean, obviously the ACC is going to be interesting this year. I think there's a lot of teams that are maybe not thought to have a lot of talent, but I think they're going to be okay. Um, BC is one of those where the line kind of nails it. I got them pegged for seven wins. Um, I just I, I don't know if there's enough on that defensive line and linebacking core to really give them the defensive edge that they need uh, to get that eighth win, even though I like a lot of what's going on on the offensive side of the ball. Um, I do see them kind of limited and, and handicapped a little bit by that defense. And, you know, like I said, they come out, they, they play like a defense because they have potential. They're playmakers on that. And, you know, they, they fared pretty well in the takeaway category, third in ACC last year with 20-plus takeaways. Um, that's nothing to really, you know, look away from because if you remember – there was a Syracuse defense that I didn't think was as good as really they were performing. And a lot of that had to do with their ability to get takeaways. And when you have a defense that can get the ball back in the offensive hands, I think that goes a long way. So continue that, uh, that prowess of getting the ball back. And, you know, we could be talking about eight wins, but for me, based on what I'm seeing on paper here and based on what we saw last year, I think seven wins is, is spot on. So let's jump over to Florida State. Obviously, first season under uh, head coach Mike Norvell last year, three and six. Again, similar situation to BC coming in. Florida State's a complete rebuild. Um, twenty twenty, you know, that's a near impossible task with everything going on from a COVID standpoint. So, I mean, nobody really should be holding last year against them. I think uh, this year, what they do at quarterback is going to be interesting. You know, you look at their quarterback room. They've got Jordan Travis in there, who's Mobile athlete, he had transferred over from Louisville. But you also have Mackenzie Milton, who uh, was a star at UCF and was a big part of their you know, national championship season, quote-unquote. Um, but will he be healthy enough to play is the question. He, he played in spring. you know, He looked healthy, he's out there, but when he starts taking hits, will he be able to hold up? Um, if you recall, he had that gruesome knee injury back in 2018, hasn't played since. Uh, the fact that he's on a football field is pretty incredible. So if he is healthy enough to play, I think he's FSU's quarterback. I think he's the best option. Um, if you look at their running back position, they've got a couple of nice options in Deshaun, Deshaun uh, Corbin and Lawrence Tuafili. Um, and the, the big issue that I see for Florida State this year is they basically don't have any receivers. I mean you remember from last season they just started having an exodus of players transfer out of the program or opt out uh, towards the latter part of the season and I mean there's there's not a lot of known quantities at the uh, receiver position for Florida State this season and then you mix in an offensive line that has been uh, pretty much a disaster for them uh, they did start playing better towards the latter part of last season if they can play a little bit more better that would be a big boost for this team but I mean, Florida State offensively is just a bag of question marks, and I, I don't see this year being much different for Florida State than what we've seen over the last, really, four or five years now. Um, and I mean, if Milton can come in, play at a high level, they'll have a chance to knock off some teams, uh, but still, with so many questions on defense, there's a lot of transfer action on the defensive side of the ball as well. There's just more questions when you look at this team's defense. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm not expecting a rebound year for Florida State, Tom. Yeah, it, Florida State just seems like they can't get the right pieces in the right configuration, and they just look discombobulated on offense. And it's so strange to look at this Florida State team on paper because you kind of realize how far they've fallen over the years. 
um, where they're just not they're still getting talent but when you see the talent on the field it's not adding up to what some of the parts should be and you know for me you see that all five offensive starters on the offensive line at least are going to be back and you know your first inclination is say oh well that's great continuity is awesome experience is awesome on the offensive line but if you go back and watch video of the Florida State offensive line for the past two years you may need a bucket to vomit in I mean that's how bad that Florida State offensive line was and that is the key to their offense. The, the reason they've looked the way they've looked, by and large, for the last few years has been that offensive line is just putrid. Um, now, it, it's a new season, and experience does help. But, you know, a lot of the year, years past, you saw Florida State with playmakers on the edge, whether it be Tamari on Terry. Um, you know, even James Blackman could deliver a good ball when he wasn't laying on his back. Um but you never saw that click because the offensive line was always the fly in the ointment. Now, if you go look at the team, you just don't see the playmakers there. And it is strange to think of saying that sentence. If you told me 10 years ago, we'd be talking about Florida state lacking playmakers. I wouldn't have believed you, but I mean, that's where we are right now. And so you've got two concerns. That's the playmaking and the offensive line. I think obviously we're going to see some improvement on the offensive line. You have to, um, it's hard to get much worse, but, you know, I, it's weird. I'm kind of rooting for success here because I want Mackenzie Milton to be this comeback story that I think he has the potential to be. And, you know, it, when you look at it on paper, it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. But, you know, I want it for him so bad, given all that he's been through, you know, with that injury and how horrific it was. And, and you love those kind of stories in college football. That's, that's what the sport is all about. But I, I just don't know if this is going to be the year where you have Florida State clicking again on offense. But to their credit, they were better in the second half of the year, especially in the in the last quarter of the year last year. So maybe maybe they're turning a corner. But like you, I have I have question marks when it comes to the wide receiving core. Yeah, I mean, you just look across the defense. I mean, so many band-aids just with the transfer portal and I mean that that can happen with a new staff and things like that but I think what that does is it really just it's not a great way to build your football team and the biggest issue with Florida State and again this isn't a Mike Norvell issue because he's this is only year two for him they have not been able to develop the talent that they're bringing in if you look at their recruiting rank versus their on-field performance they're top 20 in recruiting basically every single year, maybe even top 10 at times, but they rank between 70 to 100 as far as their on-field performance goes, depending on the class. So, I mean, that's pretty pathetic. So you get all of these blue chips in, and you're doing nothing with them. And, I mean, it's just year after year after year we keep saying the same thing about Florida State. So, I mean, we still have to give Norvell time. This was a complete teardown, but as we know, Florida State is not patient so we'll see kind of what happens. But if we look at the schedule here, out of conference-wise, they've got Notre Dame, Jacksonville State, UMass, and Florida. Uh, Florida game is on the road. So I see them going 2-2 two and two there. They'll get the two wins against Jacksonville State and UMass. Home-wise, they've got Louisville, Syracuse, NC State, and Miami. And then away conference play, they've got Wake, UNC, Clemson, and Boston College. So that's a pretty tough draw for them on the road. Uh, I've got maybe one win on the road for them, maybe splitting a two and two at home. I've got five wins slated for Florida State. They're over under is five and a half. Where do you see them fitting in? So I'm going to go and just bet on McKenzie Milton here just because I want it to happen and say they get six wins. 
you know, for them, the issue was going to be that pass rush was so bad last year. I mean, so bad. Dead last in the ACC in tackles for loss. Dead last in sacks. Um, it's hard to imagine a Florida State team that isn't able to pressure the quarterback, but that's where they found themselves last year. And they didn't get enough pieces to really fix that issue. And when you ask that much of your defensive secondary, it just it doesn't lead to success. So there's nothing inspiring about the defensive line here. Um, you know, because of the McKenzie factor, I'm going to say they squeeze out one more win and in, in, in the hopes that he stays healthy. Um, but six wins is the absolute max I could see this Florida State team getting. And I, I think they're on the right track with Norvell. I just don't think it can be understated how bare of a cabinet that Willie Taggart left them to play with. So give me six wins on the, on the Knowles and we'll keep rolling. So if we go to Wake Forest, coming off a tough year, you know, they went four and five last season, really kind of the first step back for uh, Dave Clawson, but they had a lot of injuries, a lot of opt-outs, just a lot of departures in general. Uh, the offense did average 36 points per game, which is a program record. You've got Sam Hartman coming back. Um, they are still dealing with the number of injuries. They lost who, you know, a stud receiver in Donovan Green. Um, to an injury, uh, torn ACL, and then uh, Javante Nash as well, um, who was supposed to be a big uh, a big key to their success. So um, Kenneth Walker to third, he transferred to Michigan State, uh, so that's a loss there. But I think Christian Beal Smith, uh, he looked really good at times last season. Uh, we'd have to imagine that he's going to be the star and then starter, and then Jakari Roberson and Taylor Moore uh, return at receiver. Uh, Roberson was just shy of a thousand yards last season and is again, he's kind of that upper echelon of ACC wide receiver. Um, so offensively, I think they will be good. I like Sam Hartman. I think he kind of flies under the radar. I don't know if he's like, uh, you know, a great quarterback, but he's really good. He's a gamer. He can kind of play through, uh, injuries and you know, he, he kind of takes a beating at times, but I, I like his toughness. And then on the defensive line, you know, they've got three players with 18 years of experience combined, which is insane. And that's even after losing Boogie Basham. Um, I think the secondary for them was kind of what caused the most issues last year. That was primarily due to, you know, the three things we stated before, injury, attrition, and opt-outs. Uh, but they got some decent guys back there. I think um, this isn't uncommon for Wake 10, but it's just depth across the board. Um, is always kind of one of their biggest hurdles just because it's a program that, you know, it's not the most attractive program. It's uh, you got to find guys that fit the system, guys that buy in. You know, depth is never really on their side. But for me, I'd say the secondary is still a question mark. Running back behind Beal Smith is a mystery. So we'll see what happens. I think it's a Dave Clawson coach team, so I do expect them to compete and be in a lot of games. It's just can they come out on top yeah I mean you nailed it Dave Clawson is one of those guys that is such a perfect coach for Wake Forest given his scheme and what he likes to do and the fact that he can make the most out of his players in a way that not many ACC coaches can um, when you want a guy to squeeze all of the juice out of the orange Dave Clawson is your guy and I, I think there's stuff there to like especially on the outside I think Jaquari Robinson adds a real nice piece to them he kind of came into his own last year with 62 catches eight touchdowns um, you know there's other pieces like Donovan Green and Taylor Morin I, I think they're better 
uh, than they're getting credit for. I'm a Christian Beal Smith truther, a truther. I love the way the guy runs the ball. Um, and again, you got Clawson who just runs that misdirection, uh, run pass option oriented offense with the longest quarterback running back handoff exchange in history that'll be on full display yet again. And the biggest piece is they have one of the more consistent quarterbacks, I think, of all the teams we've talked about. Um, you know, they're not going to light the world on fire. Um, Sam Hartman's not going to be all ACC, you know, first team. But as far as consistency and quality goes, especially if he's able to work on that accuracy and continue to improve that, I think he's a great guy to run and lead this offense. And, uh, you know, when you got a Kloss and coached offense, you kind of have a pretty high basement as far as what you can expect to do uh, offensively. And that bodes well for Wake Forest right now. So the over-under for Wake is six and a half. Again, like Vegas knows what they're doing for the most part. I don't know what they're doing on the NC State one, but for the most part, uh, I've been within a half game of each of these over-unders on one side or the other. They've got Old Dominion, Norfolk State, and UNC uh, at home this season. UNC is an out-of-conference game for them. And then Army is away. So I've got them going 3-1 and out-of-conference. Home conference slate is Florida State, Louisville, Duke, and NC State. And then away, they've got UVA, Syracuse, Clemson, and Boston College. Four of their last six games are on the road. So I've got seven wins for Wake, uh, and it was a it was a stretch to get there. I don't think I would touch this over-under, but I think they're firmly in the six, seven-win category and should be going to a bowl this season. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're pretty close here. Looking at the over-under, and you consider this over-under being the same as NC State is, is somewhat ludicrous. Um, but, dude, I'm always higher on Wake Forest than most. I'm, I'm a bigger fan of Clawson than most. I, I think this is a comfortable seven-win team. Um, you know, I think there's a chance they flirt with eight. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of pieces here um, that aren't getting the credit they deserve. And, you know, when you got a quarterback like Hartman, I, I, I think I just have a little more confidence in the ability to move the football. And when I look at the schedule, I just, I see seven wins comfortably. Um, so that's what I'm going to go with on Wake. Yeah, I think it's the four of the last six on the road. And it's, other than Syracuse, it's a fairly gritty uh, road schedule. So um, I opted to go two and two on that route, but we'll see what happens. I mean, it's, uh, who knows by that point in the season. If we jump over to Louisville, it kind of feels like Scott Satterfield has fallen out of the good graces of our uh, Louisville brethren a little bit. They haven't recruited great. He flirted with South Carolina in the offseason. They didn't take well to that. Uh, They lost a lot on offense, specifically Javion Hawkins at running back, Tutu Atwell and Dre Fitzpatrick at receiver. They all went in the draft. Uh... They were a turnover machine last season. Minus 12 turnover margin was second worst in the FBS. Satterfield overperformed with eight wins in 19, but he really came crashing back down to earth in 2019, or in 2020, I should say, with the 4-7 and seven record. Uh, we've got Malik Cunningham coming back, which is good. Uh, he's got a ton of potential. He can put up big numbers. But he's got a Jameis Winston-like turnover problem. You know, he's going to make those passes where you're like, wow, what a throw. And then he's going to make that pass and be like, what in the hell was this guy looking at? And that is what Malik Cunningham does, which is very similar to what Jameis Winston does. And I don't know how you get get out of that as a quarterback. 
he's athletic. He's a guy who can make plays with his legs. Maybe he depends on that a little bit more, but I think that's going to be the biggest hurdle in how far Louisville can go this season is if Malik Cunningham can really kind of reduce that turnover number. Um, They do have some solid guys on the offensive side of the ball, even though they've lost quite a bit. Um, You know, if you look at the defense, defense really struggled in the first half of last season. They started coming on towards the latter part. They became more competitive. Satterfield thinks they're his top 25 unit. I think he's crazy. But if they're even close to the top 25 in defense, I mean, I think that would be a huge step forward. But I'm still just, I'm a little uneasy about Louisville. Uh, You know, I, I like Satterfield as a coach. I don't think I like him as much as I did in 19. I think there's uh, kind of an interesting dynamic about him. I don't know if it was, you know, the ACC catching up to kind of what he made him successful at App State, and now they're having a hard time finding a way to adapt to it. So it's something to monitor in year three. Uh, If they are around that four-win mark, five-win mark, and they're not kind of taking that step forward, I think there's going to be a little bit of pressure turned up on Satterfield uh, just because of how he kind of managed his offseason last year. Yeah, I mean, I could see it. You mentioned Javion Hawkins and Tutu Atwell going in the draft, and I don't think it can be understated how athletic and talented those guys were. I mean, they were like two motorbikes on the field at the same time. And somehow with all of that dynamic offensive uh, playmaking that they had, Scott Satterfield still managed to lose a healthy amount of games with those players. And they were, you know, they were incredible. Um, It doesn't speak well to Satterfield. And, you know, he's a guy I was extremely, extremely high on. I still am somewhat high on him, although I'm perplexed by their inability to find success with that roster that they had. Um, Granted, there were huge defensive problems, but you still would just have liked to have seen them have a little bit more success given what they had. And, you know, rolling into this year, you kind of still see the potential for the same problems, just with less playmaking ability, which isn't a good recipe for success. So I, like you, am am sitting here and um, I'm probably less high on Louisville than a lot of the predictions are just because of what I've seen from them to this point and where they stand currently just from a, a, a sheer roster construction, a talent standpoint, I think I think they've got much bigger holes than they had ever offensively. Um, and that's not a good recipe when, you know, there's still question marks on the defensive side of the football. So um, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I'm, I'm giving Scott Satterfield a little bit of the side eye, kind of wondering if he's the guy for Louisville. When if you asked me two years ago, I thought he was one of the best hires you could have made. And I don't know if that's a scheme thing. I don't know if that's a, a people catching up to what he likes to do. Um, you just would like to see him get more out of some really talented players than he has in the past. And, and I think that's an indictment on his ability. And, you know, he's definitely going to be in prove-it mode for me this year. Uh, schedule-wise, out of conference, they've got Ole Miss in Atlanta to open the year, Eastern Kentucky, UCF, and Kentucky to close out the season. So a pretty difficult out-of-conference schedule. Uh, they've got UVA, Boston College, Clemson, and Syracuse uh, at home in conference play. And then on the road, they've got Florida State, Wake, NC State, and Duke. So, I mean, I'd say that the under, and their over-under is 6.5, which again, same as NC State. I'm just not I'm not seeing it. 
Um, I'd say my money would go towards the under on that. I think six wins would be kind of a safe bet, but wouldn't be surprised if it was five. Um, I don't see how they can do much better than six. I mean, seven would be a really successful season in my mind for, uh, for Louisville. Yeah, I think so too. Seven would be a, all things considered a great year for them. Um, when I look at this roster and look at the body of work, I see a four to five one football team. Even looking at the schedule and understanding how easy some of these games are, I, I think there's a, there are a lot of holes on this Louisville they're team. Just, they're, they're, they're that school that one week they'll beat a really good football team, and the next week they'll lose to Syracuse. Exactly. Except now That's they don't have so Tutu Atwell or, or Javion Hawkins. So where are you replacing? I mean, those two were special, special college football players. And now you have to replace them. So where where are we getting to six and a half wins here if we're Vegas? That's and, and Vegas knows more than I do. I'll be the first to tell you. I just don't see it, man. I don't see it. I see a four to five win football team here. Um, and I think the loss of those two athletes specifically are going to be a, a, a main contributing factor to the issues that are going to be present for the Cardinals. Yeah, I mean, I think it's very possible they go like one and three at home. Because I, I think oh, UVA yeah. is better. I think Boston College is better. We know Clemson is better. Um, they should beat Syracuse. But, I mean, going one at three at home, that's that's tough. But I think that's a realistic possibility for, for Louisville this season. So Yeah, it is. Um, and, and all those teams we'll you mentioned outside of Syracuse, I like better than I like this Louisville team. So yeah. when you go game by game here, and, and I did just before the podcast – I'm not I'm not finding seven, I'm not finding six, I'm barely finding five wins here. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think six is uh a successful year and more likely to be less than that. Uh now talking about less than six, let's just go over and uh finish off the Atlantic with Syracuse here. So Dino Babers, have to imagine this is probably his last season as head coach. I think the only reason he's still around is because of his buyout. Um you know, he had a lot of uh, interesting comments in the offseason where it's just kind of like, I'm not sure his head's in the right place, but he basically had that one season that shocked everybody and, you know, it was their best year since 2001, resulted in a huge extension. He was getting recruited by everybody. He was like the big name, like, where is Dino Babers going to go? And, I mean, he's done absolutely nothing since. So, I mean, if you look at the Dino Babers era in Syracuse, and again, not an easy job. It was a, complete turnaround job but it goes four and eight and 16 and 17 10 and three and 18 five and seven and 19 and one and 10 last season and I mean what was so mind-numbingly impossible to understand with Syracuse last year is how bad they were on defense because that defense had dudes on that defense and I mean I've never seen a unit underperform to the extent that the Syracuse defense underperformed last no year. No doubt. And that, to me, was a fireable offense. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. Um, what a fall to grace we've seen from Dino Babers. And part of it, I think, is the bad juju that you get when you name your arena the Carrier Dome when it doesn't have air conditioning. And until they rectify yeah. that, which we're not talking about, which is the real issue here, um, I don't know that they'll be able to have any sustained success in football because that's a contradiction and they need to fix it. Yeah. And by the way, your Syracuse play your games outside. That's your home field advantage. 
Like, absolutely. What else do you want? The frozen tundra. Like, you you want Miami coming up to Syracuse in November, and to be completely out of their element. Yeah. Putting them in a hot stadium in the middle of November. I mean, that's going to feel like you know springtime. Right. It's Miami. So a- eighty to ninety percent humidity. I mean, they're right at home. Tear the roof yeah. off. Yeah. All right. Let's start playing the game on permafrost. And that literally, every, every game's an ice bowl. And you figure out how to play in it. Get your cleat spec right. All right? This is football. Instead, you're playing in a non-air-conditioned dome named after an air-conditioning company, which is just a recipe for disaster. And no peppy halftime locker room speeches from Dino Babers foaming at the mouth and punching holes in lockers is going to change that. Yeah, no, it's there's no doubt. I mean, to me, I don't really want to spend a ton of time on Syracuse because they're just going to be so bad. I think, um, you know, Tommy DeVito's still there. He has been a just disaster, um, which, in his defense, so is the rest of the offense. Uh, they've got a Mississippi State transfer, Garrett Schrader, who it's more of a mobile option. So I would think that that probably gives him an edge with how bad the offensive line has been. Let me just run through some offensive line stats, and then we're just going to move on to the schedule because this really wraps it up. Um, Babers was quoted, I quote, we're looking for a group to stop someone from hitting our quarterback. That's bold. If you look at, to me, one of the most pointless stats in in football, returning production, Syracuse returns its full offensive line. They gave up three and a half sacks and seven and a half tackles for loss per game. Babers' offensive line groups, since he's been at Syracuse, have averaged 39 sacks allowed per year. So I don't know how you think anybody is going to be able to perform under center when you've got a positional group that is essentially like the foundation of a house that can't hold up any kind of structure that you've built to support an offense. And I mean, there's just so many critical errors across the board for Syracuse to where, you know, our favorite Syracuse player in the last few years, Eric Dungy, was able to kind of overcome that as the quarterback. And I mean, to me, Eric Dungy's the reason they won 10 games in 2018. And they've done nothing but go down a very slippery slope since then. So Syracuse is going to be really bad this year. I mean, if we look at their schedule, um, you know, outside of the first four games, I don't see a lot of potential wins on their ACC schedule. I mean, you've got Florida State, Virginia Tech, Louisville, NC State away. I think they probably lose all those games. Then they've got Wake, Clemson, BC, and Pitt at home. I think they probably lose all those games. And then in their first four games, they've got Ohio away, Rutgers, Albany, and Liberty. And honestly, I'm going to say two at two at best. Maybe three wins. So the over-under for Syracuse is three and a half this season. I'm I'm leaning towards the under. We got time for a knock-knock joke. Always. Knock-knock. Who's there? Orange. Aren't you? Aren't you glad we get to stop talking Syracuse football after I tell you they're definitely <laughs> going to win two games this season? So glad. Let's move on to Notre Dame. So this is the wild card here. The Fighting Irish. Hard to believe Brian Kelly is four wins away from becoming the winningest coach in Notre Dame history. 
Newt Rockney, of course, sits atop the list. One of the best football names of all time, Newt Rockney. Four straight 10-win <laughs> seasons for Notre Dame. Two playoff appearances in that time frame and a one-year appearance in the ACC that landed them in the title game. Uh, but there's going to be some challenges this year. First and foremost, Ian Book, who's been there for 15 years, is no longer there. He's in the NFL. He's on the New Orleans Saints now. In comes Jack Cohn, grad transfer from Wisconsin, who is expected to be the starter. Didn't play last year. He threw for 2,700 yards, 18 touchdowns, 5 picks, and 19, which is nice. Uh, he's a much different player than Book. Uh, if you watch any Wisconsin games, Jack Cohn was not an exciting player. No. I mean, I mean, if, you, if you've watched any Wisconsin at all, you know that they are a ground-and-pound huge offensive lineman. We're going to run the ball down your throat. We're going to have a 2,000-yard rusher. That's a successful season for Wisconsin football. And then anything the quarterback does to not lose the game is golden. And I think that is what Notre Dame is going to have to be on offense this year. Because really the best part of Notre Dame is their running backs. And Kieran Williams and Chris Tyree, who both return, they combined for 1,600 yards last season with 17 touchdowns. And that's going to be the core focus of the offense. It's Notre Dame. They've got offensive linemen on top of offensive linemen. Going back to our blue tortilla chip uh, analogy, that's what their offensive line is. Um, They also brought in a grad transfer there, Kane Madden, who has 31 career starts. Uh, They do have to replace four four starters on that offensive line. But, again, I, I think they'll be okay. But offensively, you know, I think they're strong at tight end. They've got questions at receivers. They've got a lot of seniority there, uh, but more question marks than sure things. So it's going to be a really interesting offense this year. If you remember Ian Book, Ian Book's a guy who he he always played over his ability, in my opinion. Like, he was a uh, very athletic quarterback. Um, he, he was just a gamer, you know. I mean, he could go in and, and make a play when it needed to be be made uh if you look at notre dame i mean they haven't lost a a home game in years the last time they lost was 2016 to virginia tech and they almost lost to virginia tech again in 2019 but guess who made a huge play at the end ian book so i think that's going to be something to watch for uh for notre dame this year defensively tim new defensive coordinator you got marcus freeman taking over uh who came from cincinnati uh, they've got a lot of NFL talent on this team. Very strong defensive line. Returning experience at linebacker. Their best defensive player is probably Kyle Hamilton at safety, who's an All-American. So defensively, I think they'll be fine. But offensively, a lot of question marks for me. Yeah, I mean, you're going to go from Ian Book and you're going to get pamphlet size production from Cone which is going to be a problem. I mean, when you talk about the running backs, yeah, especially Kyron Williams, I mean, what a what incredible backs they have. And behind that offensive line, it's going to keep them in a lot of games, especially games with uh, defensive fronts that aren't quite up to snuff, especially when it comes to obviously stuffing the run. So I think there is real chance there for them to really, really, really pound some teams into submission. Um, but the other piece that no one is talking near as much about as they should is um, – how important that Jeremiah Owusu-Karamoa was that defense. And 
talking about just one of the best athletic players on that Notre Dame defense last year, kind of the heart and soul of that defense is now going to have to be replaced. So, you know, I got question marks as to where they're going to replace that kind of leader and that kind of athletic ability on the defense. Um, now, granted, obviously there's talent there. They recruit really, really well. Um, blue chips all over the place, but it's never that easy in college football, no matter how easy Clemson makes it seem. See LSU last year. And, you know, I, I just think they really need more at quarterback than they're going to get from Cone. And it's one of those things where I'm not as high on the Irish as the pre, uh, preseason rankings seem to be. And I think it's more of a name recognition thing, as it usually is with Notre Dame, as to why they tend to be overrated in the preseason. Although I will give them credit, the last few years they've, they've been punching where they needed to punch as far as those rankings go. But the loss of book... Um, the loss of the heart and soul of their defense, it, it's going to be heavily felt. And I, I don't think the Irish are going to live quite up to their expectations this year. Yeah, I think uh, they came in ninth in the AP poll, which, you know, I guess they've earned that over the last few seasons with uh, the level they've played at. But uh, I think for where they're at this season, a little bit of an overrank. Right. Top 25, sure. But yeah, uh, I think we're going to see them kind of come back down to earth here a little bit. And that's part of my beef with the preseason rankings is last year and years prior should have no bearing on these rankings. Yet they do. We see it every year. And this is one of those cases where if you're just going by what you see on paper, this is probably a top 20 team. It's not a top 10 team. Um, no. and, and I think we'll easily see that at the end of the year. Yeah. I mean, not the most difficult slate, though, if you look at their schedule, uh, the one game that is probably most interesting is uh, Wisconsin neutral site at Soldier Field. Um, that's in September. They've got FSU away to open the season, Purdue and Toledo at home. So, I mean, I think, uh, you know, they feel like they're going to slip up. It's definitely going to be Wisconsin. Uh, they do have Cincinnati at home. Cincinnati is a highly thought of team. I think they were eighth in the rankings. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see if Luke Fickle's team can, uh, continue to play at a high level. They're on the road at Virginia Tech. Uh, they've got USC and UNC at home. Um, so, I mean, you know, it's Notre Dame. They always play a very interesting schedule. Cincinnati at home, and then I think they're on the road at Virginia Tech uh, the next week. October is a very challenging month for them, um, where you've just got Cincinnati on the road at Tech, and then you've got Southern California and UNC back-to-back mm. weeks i mean that's mm. it's pretty brutal that's tough um and then they've got navy at uva gt and stanford uh in november so an easier november um but i mean this team is really going to be defined in october and how they can survive but uh the over under for notre dame is eight and a half which i think is probably about on point um nine and three i think would be a good year for them but i wouldn't be surprised to see them eight and four either yeah, no, eight and four is definitely where I have them pegged. Obviously, there's a road to nine and three there. Um, really depends on what kind of ability and uh, performance you're going to be able to squeeze out of Cone because in order to hit that nine-game mark, I think they're going to have to get more than what we've seen out of him. And given the coaching staff at Notre Dame, it's possible. Given the running game and the offensive line, it's possible. But I, I'm not seeing it preseason as we sit here today. So I'm I'm thinking eight and four. Uh, on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. So to close it out, I think the uh, ACC Atlantic is a two-team race. It's actually, I feel like it will be a race uh, at some point. 
NC State, for me, is still going to have to play a near-perfect season that includes a win over Clemson. Maybe they can afford one loss somewhere. Um, But I still think Clemson is probably the team that wins the Atlantic this season. After that, uh, I've rearranged um, the order of how I see these teams finishing. I think Boston College probably does finish third. I like Wake Forest fourth, Louisville fifth, Florida State sixth, and then Syracuse uh, is still a uh, a bottom dweller there. But for me, um, the the top four teams in this division are pretty solid, and the bottom three just have a lot of question marks. Louisville super unpredictable. Florida State's just too far away, and Syracuse is you know they're Syracuse. So I don't know how you feel about it overall. I mean, pretty much right in line with you. I think really the only place we differ might be our expectations for Wake Forest. But, I mean, I have the same top two. Um, You know, nobody fails to live up to expectations quite like the NC State Wolfpack. So until I I see it, um, there's just no way I'm going to ever predict NC State to beat and finish above a team like Clemson. Although I do think if NC State is going to ever do it, this is going to be the year for them. Um, you know, I, I think Clemson finishes, uh, first, I think there's a chance for a couple stumbles, but I don't think it's anything that's going to keep them out of uh, first place. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. I mean, the bottom of the, uh, the division kind of shakes out in an understandable way. Obviously Syracuse is, is going to be in the basement there. I think everybody can agree on that. Um, but where there is real intrigue here, I think is in the middle of the conference. I think there's a lot of, unpredictability in the middle this year. I don't think we have the same tiers that we had outside of, yeah, we know Syracuse is bad. I think there's a lot of teams in that middle that we don't know quite where they're going to finish, uh, which will lead to one or two surprises this year where I think you'll see a team, you know, bust out an unforeseen uh, winning record in conference ball that maybe you didn't see coming. Um, But yeah, the intrigue is there. Uh, You know, Clemson, this is the year where they're not a sure thing. Um, like they have been in the past. So you have that slight uncertainty at the top with complete insanity that's going to come spinning the ACC ACC wheel of doom halfway through the season. And it should be a pretty exciting year with all those things. It's not quite as cut and dry as it has been in the past. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, NC State's window is open, uh, which is all you can ask for when you've got Clemson in your division. It's just a matter of if they can get through it or not. So... Uh, it's going to be interesting to see that play out. I'm pretty uh, jacked for that game. That's going to be a fun one. I assume it'll be prime time on the ACC network, so the rest of the nation can't see it. But um, you know, we'll see what happens. But that's our show for today. Thanks for listening. Again, we've got the uh, ACC Coastal preview coming up later this week. Uh, but for now, that is uh, that's all we've got for today. Tim, any uh, final remarks before we sign off? No final remarks. I think it was a pretty clean uh, preview episode there on this half of the division. And, you know, just talking about this stuff gets me so fired up. I can't wait. I can't stand the wait anymore. Three weeks out and I am just jonesing for college football. Um, You know, when we do these previews and we kind of stack it up together, it just gets me excited. I always forget how much I enjoy watching other ACC teams play each other during the year you kind of put blinders on when it comes to Virginia Tech and you're sort of in a vacuum when it comes to consuming everything, hokey football, prognosticating on where the Hokies are going to finish, what the Hokies are going to do. And then you forget, yeah, there's a lot of intrigue in other areas of the conference. And um, yeah, man, going through this stuff, it'll be interesting to see. And, uh, you know, 
luckily we don't have to wait too long for that Clemson and C State matchup. So it should be a fun year. This is always the time of year where I psych myself up about the ACC and I'm like, you know what? I don't think we're going to be that bad this year. And then the game start and it's like, oh, just wait, <laughs> just, right just back wait. <laughs> Everything is still the same. That's right. The best part about the ACC is that nothing changes. Pretty much. It is. It's pretty predictable year in and year out from a unpredictable standpoint. Yes. You always predict the unpredictability. Right. So that's our show. Thanks for listening. If you don't mind, drop us a review. Uh, Tim loves five stars. Uh, I love five stars. Four stars are acceptable, but you know, reading uh, great reviews really it, it brings a smile to our faces. And don't you y'all want us to smile, right? So if you could do that, that would be great. Uh, we're kind of on all these platforms. If you're listening on our website, you can jump over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, uh, Stitcher, wherever you can find us. And then. Uh, Join us on social media. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Chowder and Grits. That's uh, that's where we're interacting most with everybody. So be sure to drop us a follow and uh, chat with us there. And uh, that's all we've got. ACC Coastal coming up next. Thanks for listening. Talk to you guys later. See ya.